welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. to episode 121 of the Proper Mental Podcast and my guest this week is Tatten Spiller who is an author and a speaker and the founder of Simple Politics which is well you probably already know about Simple Politics because it's massive but if you don't it's an online platform that aims to explain politics in a way that everyone can understand and Tatten has been interested in understanding politics from a young age and he found that campaigning used to be a useful outlet for the anger that he felt as a young man who was living with undiagnosed mental health conditions. He's also been a teacher, a journalist and worked at the Houses of Parliament and he started Simple Politics in 2015 after growing increasingly frustrated in the way that politics is explained and delivered by mainstream media. Around about this time Tatten would also experience a breakdown and he would eventually be diagnosed with BPD and bipolar disorder and like it says on his website with a little depression and anxiety sprinkled in for good measure and that's kind of what we chat about in this episode. It's one of those chats that goes absolutely everywhere. It goes nowhere near politics but we do talk about how he got into politics and where that passion comes from and how that led to him setting up simple politics we chat about diagnosis we chat about trying to define what mental health is when it's such an individual experience and how those labels and those diagnosis can be a help and a hindrance we talk about the good bits and the bad bits of mental illness music literature portrayal in the media we talk about it all i think across all platforms simple politics has got over a million followers and tatten and his team are trying to keep all those followers up to date with a news cycle that is just changing all the time. And we talk about the chaos of that and how his mental health and his mental illness diagnosis, how they kind of aid him in being able to do that. But then all the downside that comes with that as well. I really enjoyed chatting to Tatten. He's a lovely man. I found him really engaging. He's very thoughtful. He really thinks about what he's saying when he talks about this stuff. He thinks very deeply. There's some emotional parts in this chat. There's a lot of laughter too. He's really funny and he can really sort of find the the funny side in some of the things that we talk about, even though they are challenging things to talk about. But yeah, he's a lovely, lovely man and it was great to spend some time with him. You probably already follow Simple Politics. If you don't, the links to everything they do is in the episode notes. Tatten has another page as well, at Tatten Spiller, where he writes about mental health and his own mental health and his thoughts and feelings around that topic. And that's a really lovely page. Um, I get a lot from that content. I really enjoy it. And that's highly worth a follow if you don't already. All my stuff is in the episode notes as well. Give me a follow. Give me a like. Give me a share. All of that stuff is very much appreciated. If you could give me a review, that'd be great. You can do so on iTunes. You can do so on Spotify. I know that's just this throwaway thing that I put on the end of every intro but if you could take two seconds to do that it would really help me out it helps the show get noticed it helps the show in the charts it just helps me get the word out there it's a really important thing and it only takes a few seconds and it would be very much appreciated and this is episode 121 of the proper mental podcast with Tatten Spiller from Simple Politics thank you very much for listening enjoy So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Tatten Spiller. How are you, mate? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. Thank you for joining me today, mate. I really um, I really appreciate it. It's lovely to meet you. It's an absolute pleasure. Oh, super. That's super. We're, um, when we're putting this together, we're kind of both navigating slightly different half terms. But how's your, uh, how's your week been, mate? Uh, it's, I find, I like routine. Routine really helps me get through things and, uh, I've got no routine. Um, and that's makes life slightly trickier. And I think, Oh, I don't have to go to bed. So I uh, stayed up on Tuesday night and, uh, and drank more wine than I should on a Tuesday night. Um, and then was hung over on a Wednesday and it's just, it just, it, 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 it ruins 
the structure, the rules were gone. I then couldn't do all the things I was supposed to do on a Wednesday and got thoroughly cross. Um, and I blame the children for not being in school. Yeah, exactly. uh, it's their fault. So um, <laughs> they shall be punished. Don't worry. They shall be punished. Oh, that's good to hear. That's yeah. good to hear. Yeah, but yeah, it's true. I'm, just, I'm exactly the same. Um, uh, always the first couple of days of being off, I'm always like, you know, oh, this is great. I can throw the rule book out the way, out the, mm-hmm. out the window. And then two days after it's out, I'm like, oh, I should probably go and look for that in the garden because um, <laughs> the, the rules for a reason. And can I serve... have some rules, please? <laughs> yeah, they serve me very rules. Yeah. Oh, that's good, mate. That's um, but yeah, glad you've had a, an okay week anyway. Um, let's take it back a bit, mate. Let's start with politics. Why um where does your interest in politics come from, mate? Have you is that something you've been passionate about from a from a young age? Because what you do with simple politics, you couldn't do it if you didn't really like politics, I'm going to assume. Yeah, um absolutely. And it's interesting because uh <laughs> I normally so when I when I when I speak on um podcast or, or, or anywhere else I talk about politics and mental health comes into it because it's also linked but 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 we'll go the other way around on this because my politics came about my interest in politics came about when I was um a very 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 troubled teenager um and there wasn't as much support as you might like um completely undiagnosed I mean you know I'm walking around with quite visible signs of uh, mental distress, which as a teacher, I would have like picked up. <laughs> I'm not going to go into details. You can imagine if some kid walked into my classroom, I was a secondary school teacher for 10 years. If some kid walked into my classroom, I'm doing something about it. And I walked through school for, well, my own 10 years of schooling, I suppose. Um and so I, I got very angry about things and uh, I got very into um, animal rights was my uh, was my chosen thing. I think I obviously would have denied it then, but looking back, I think it could have been literally any cause. Um, I suppose I'm quite grateful that it wasn't, you know, uh, something more embarrassing, more uh, destructive. I mean, it was destructive as hell. Um, but it was at a time when uh, there was a lot of animal testing laboratories going um, in the UK, and um, we closed down. We, the movement I was in, closed down a cat farm in Whitney um, that was breeding cats for animal testing, uh, Shamrock Monkey Farm. New Church guinea pig farm. And I used to go and spend time outside these places and, you know, sit down on main roads and, you know, all this stuff. And it was just a way of being angry. Did I evaluate the use of science and talk about, did I think enough about cancer, for example? They're testing animals, you know, they, they were testing. Get the cosmetic animal testing stuff was largely gone by then right so it's it was mostly and we're talking late 90s so it's most it's mostly animal testing that would still be going on today and did i think about the cost of a rabbit's life in the journey against cancer no because it was it was a, it was an angry deliberate gesture it was an angry Fuck off. Don't can I swear? I'm gonna swear. Fuck off. You can't kill animals just because we're human. Just because we're human doesn't make us more valuable than them. This isn't okay. And it was this beautifully black and white issue. And it allowed for that, yeah, that anger and maybe a sense of righteousness and also being involved with something. There was, you know, I went, I went, I went. I mean, it's a bit of saying vegan now. It's a very different thing to being vegan. I had to go to Holland and Barrett to buy my soy milk. Uh, it wasn't in the shops. I get so angry. <laughs> I get so angry now when I'm in a restaurant. It's like, yeah, you can have whatever you want vegan. The whole menu can be made vegan as well if you want. Like, shut up. They don't even know they're born. <laughs> so that was how I got into politics. Um, and I was an anarchist. Um, like I read, I read a bit about anarchy and anarchism. Like I believed in anarchism rather than just wanting to watch the world burn, um, which I also did want to do. But 
that idea that it's the rules that are creating dissatisfaction in our lives, the conflict we have as a result of rules, and we need to get rid of them, and then we can live happier, was really compelling. I mean, I'm not an anarchist anymore. I don't believe that's true necessarily, but it was. But that's how I got into politics yeah. as a teenager through protest, through anger, through my mental, all completely through my mental health. Mm. Did you know um, that you were not well at that time, Tatton? Where was like mental illness even on your radar back then? Because I mean, like late nineties, I think we're a, a very similar age, Tatton. I think, um, and it, in my experience, it wasn't. You know, I'd never heard of it. My mother once told me around that time that depression was something else. Like we can all feel sad sometimes but depression was a thing and that was something else. And I think she said that because she was talking about herself in to some extent and about how she wasn't depressed. And I think she said that because these terms were being used a bit, but they never had been. I mean, my grandmother, my mum's mum, I'm not going to diagnose her, but the depression that would be the least of it. Right. And um, and I think there's there's, there's there's not only was it not really being talked about, but it might have been being talked about in relation to my family, where there is a severe history of severe mental illness. But it's always been battered away and not not talked about and not discussed. And so I think I always had that, even if I did, even if I did have ideas in my head that weren't okay, and I could recognise that they weren't okay. I just had this idea that mental illness was something else. Something kind of uh, separate. Yeah. Something yeah. separate. So something, this, this, I mean, you're angry, you're sad, you're confused, you're whatever else is over time. and the, It's really hard to benchmark, isn't it? What's, what's normal, normal, I hate that word. What's normal, normal level of sad? If someone tells you how sad are you from one to 10, What's a benchmark of a five, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do we even begin to? Uh, how, do, uh, how do we? I mean, is my sad more than your sad? Yeah. What? I don't know. No, it's true, isn't it? It's also it's all relative to the person who's experiencing it, so it doesn't yeah. really make a difference. Yeah. I mean, I went to um, I, the first time I went to. Oh, we jumped forward many decades now, but the first time I went to a, uh, a secondary services facility uh, here in Kent. Um, to be assessed as to whether I was serious or not, right? The guy said, no, oh no, we spoke for about five minutes. And he said, I'm really sorry, mate. We don't, um, we only deal with people with serious mental illness here. So you need to go back to your GP. So, wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How serious okay. is it? Well, what, I mean, what would you like me to do? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should have told you about some of the things that I have done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's really, really tricky. I always think that I, my, I used to think that mental illness, like we said, was separate, right? And it used to bring things into us and my, my more understanding of it. And obviously there's different shades and degrees within different diagnoses and situations, but it's kind of all the normal human stuff just out of control or on steroids or, you know, you're feeling too much of it or not enough of it, but it doesn't take it doesn't make things appear out of out of nowhere. It's all kind of in us, isn't it? It's just it's just broken and and spills out in different ways. Yeah, I, I think that maybe there's an element of control, some somewhere. But I, I don't know. Like I understand now that my emotions, I do not respond to things in a an emotionally rational way. Um, I understand that my emotions are more severe i understand that you know i'm bipolar so there's, there's, there's a cyclical element to it i understand a lot of these things that can be mapped onto something that says oh this guy's a bit screwy right in the 90s there was no i had no concept of that and when you're a teenager anyway everyone's got I mean, again, the word issues is so rubbish, but but in the 90s and in the noughties, and still now to a certain extent, mental illness 
on screen as seen in the world around you is portrayed by Arkham Asylum from Batman. Right? Yeah. Yeah. If you're if you're getting medical help for mental illness, then people think, well, I mean, certainly then people think about straight jackets and padded cells. <laughs> Dude, that's not. Yeah, it's that's so, not you know, the experience. It's so true, though, how that is part of the 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 narrative. You know, like I've, I um, had some problems with my mental health, and I didn't say anything for a very very long time, and that was one of the reasons why like, people say to me, "Why didn't you say anything?" It's because I didn't want to get like taken away and locked up. Yeah. You know, my frame of reference was one flew over the cuckoo's nest. That's kind yeah. of what I what I just thought happened, and like now I can see that that's ridiculous. But it was so part of just like the culture is the first thing that comes to mind is a, like a film from the seventies. So um, yeah. I, mean, I remember they were talking about electric thought, electric thought, electric shock therapy for me at one point. And that's the frame of reference for that, isn't it? One for the cuckoo's nest. And also um, the bell jar. I remember you've read the bell jar. No, no. I've, I know oh. of it, of course, but oh, I've not read just it. read it. Just like, uh, like yeah. we should finish this recording some other time because you should stop now. And just read that book. Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar is one of the greatest books of all time. And it was one of the times it resonated so hard when I read it. And it was, it was one of the first times that I began to think, oh, maybe, maybe things, things are more serious here. Maybe this isn't just because you've got a couple of things going on because it, yeah, I mean, sometimes she describes things. I reread it recently. And I was reading sections out to my partner. So this is this. And she's like, you could have written this. Wow. Um, I mean, obviously I couldn't because Sylvia Plath's like one of the greatest writers uh, of the last hundred years. And I'm not. Uh, but it was, it just, these were words written in the 60s, maybe in the 50s. And they just lift off the page. And yeah, it's hard. It's a hard read, but it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And and it just gets into how difficult it is, I think. And that's what's really hard to... That's why the media struggles with it. Because it all happens inside. Yeah. And, and the technology of the book is the best way to get inside someone's head. TV, unless you do some awful voiceover, like, can't explore what's going on in someone's head properly. They can you can explore through dialogue and whatever else, but it's the cinematic world struggles with mental dialogue, mental monologue, I suppose. Oh, my head's definitely a dialogue. Um, whereas a book, bang, you're in there, you're right in there, feeling what they feel, and uh, just the, te the technology of, the, of language comes through. So I've, so I've often, I'm not a massive reader, but I'm often engaged in terms of mental health with books more than I am film and TV. Yeah, that's such a wonderful point. Yeah, I've never really thought about the difference of, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking how bad the representation is on, on screen, for instance. But um, yeah, how much... It sort of hits home the relatability from having it off the page. I wonder if that's partly to do with like reading in your own voice in your head, maybe, which is mm. kind of exactly how this stuff plays out, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a that's really something that's given me something to uh, to think about there, mate. How are there any you... films? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Are mm. there any films that you do think are good that represent well? Um, TV shows? Not really. No. Um, I. Like you say, it's so hard to uh, hard to see in people because it's all all internal. You know the stereotype, isn't it? As you see, it's always like a I don't know a black and white picture of a bloke on the end of his bed with his head in his hands, or you know screaming into the abyss, or you know that's like the the classic, isn't it? And um, in the movies, the killer's always a schizophrenic, always every <laughs> every time. That's always how oh, that they play that play that stigma out. Um, but yeah, I can't think of something that's um, done really good. As you mentioned before, you got a diagnosis of bipolar. What was your take on Homeland and Carrie Matheson? Have you watched that? Because she was a the bipolar CIA agent, and I always wondered whether her whether she was a you know a good portrayal of that. I think she is. Um, I watched that show uh, when it came out um, and didn't get my diagnosis of bipolar till quite late. Um, 
uh, all my diagnosis. Like I went, I was this is 2014, I think, was when I first got on the uh, medical bandwagon because things started to go quite wrong. Um, and I mean, I spent a lot of my 20s self-diagnosing, self-medicating with um, non-prescription drugs. And then, and then, and then, you know, I had kids and things and, 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 uh, and things changed and I, and, and I fell apart a little bit. And so I started going down the more medical route and yeah, 2014 was when I started the journey and got, to, I got diagnosed with depression and then borderline personality disorder and then bipolar, like uh, rolling through the years. So I, I, I didn't have a diagnosis of bipolar when I saw Homeland, but things about that show did resonate with me. I'd always, bipolar characters had always like, you know, that's talking about Belgium a moment ago, but characters, sometimes you do see a character in fiction that resonates. And that can be for all kinds of different reasons. But yeah, I think I think they, it did. I thought the soundtrack to that show was so good. That kind of jazz, there's kind of chaotic jazz thing going on. There's some... Um, and the thing about Carrie Matheson is it's her bipolar that makes her great. Yeah. Yeah. She sees stuff. Her, her diagnosis or the, the, the strange way that her head is put together makes her better than other people. Mm, yeah. And that's something I struggle with, which is understanding that the best parts of me are also down to what would be prescribed medically as my disorder. It's an entirely negative term, but it's also the best of me. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting about her. I think that that show went through too many series. I think it actually got better again towards the end. Mm. Um, and when you're exploring for storylines and reaching a little bit and you've got a character that's mental, it's quite easy to exploit that a little bit. Um, so there were some things I didn't like about it, but generally I liked, I liked, I liked, I, I could, I could feel her lows and I got her mania. Yeah. And that was, well, it made me cry. It was it resonated enough to make me cry, but then you know I'll cry when I spill a, a pea. I, I was gonna say, I was gonna go to spilling peas. Is that something people? I spill peas. Yeah, yeah. Crying over spilt peas. We're doing that now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really interesting that you you mentioned that you know the best bits of you are you know somehow attached to the uh, to the illness, and like I really get that, and I often wonder you know, about myself and people. One thing I like to ask when I speak to uh, creative people, you know, people who write, people who make music, people or whatever, it's like, you know, does that creativity being able to go to that place and access those feelings to create, does that make you more susceptible to feeling them? You know, there is a, I sometimes think, well, a lot of the things that I do, I think I could only do because I get poorly. Like I, mm. I don't, you know, it's, it's a bit of a chicken and the egg scenario. I'm not quite sure which kickstarted the other or if anything did at all, but there is a, um, you know, yeah, there's definitely something. Sometimes I'm not sure if I'd change it. That's the question, isn't it? Mm. Would you change it? Would you change it? I mean, I'm not, I'm, well, no, I just, I'm just, I'm thinking. You'd have I'm, to, not, I'm not going to ask you to answer it. I think, I think that, I think the pain my head causes the people who love me means that I'd have to change it. Even if I think that maybe they wouldn't love me as much in the first place because I wouldn't be who I am. If I could take the pain away from them, you know, I'd have to do whatever I can. I'd have to do whatever I can to take that pain away from other people. Um, Oof, that was quite serious, isn't it? I know, yeah. Yeah, we got there, we got there quick. We got, yeah. there, got there quick, mate. Yeah. But um how has um 
you know, when you were diagnosed with a few different things, Tatten, did that work for you? I mean, obviously, you it sounds like you tried a few labels on. Were you quite aware that when you got a, you know, a label of depression, for instance, that that wasn't quite enough? Um, you know, different people respond differently to diagnosis. I've spoke to people who um, it changed everything for them and helped them to understand. And I've I've spoken to people who chose not to have one uh, because they didn't want one and they're, they're better off without. You know, how did it work for you trying a few on for size before you got settled in with with where you are now? I, it's hard. As soon as, you, as soon as you enter the medical arena, they kind of draw you in for a long time. For years and years, I was in and around GP, secondary services, psychology, blah, 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 blah. And for a long time, people were saying to me, right, so you are bipolar. I'm not, I'm not in a position to give you a diagnosis. Diagnosis. But when you're, when you are given that, then you can have this magic drug, lithium. You can have this magic drug, and then you can start to get better. And then I went through a round of things and got diagnosed with EUPD or BPD or whatever, and, and, and it was heartbreaking. <laughs> it wasn't what, it, what everyone would be telling me I had, and I can't have this drug because I've got the, this box and this box and this box. So it's kind of you, you're in this tone you're in this spiral towards this thing and i mean yeah bpd works like you re i remember reading when i was i'd never heard of it when i was first diagnosed with it and i was reading this uh leaflet on the train home because i went private in the end to get the diagnosis got up to london the idea the idea you can walk into uh this surgery you know having paid a few quid and you walk into this what looks like someone's smart office where someone sits down and listens to you talk for 20 minutes and goes, ah, this is, this is what you are. This is who you are. What? Chris. Anyway, we did all that. And, and, and this guy was like, yeah, no, you've got borderline personality disorder. So I'm sat on a commuter train home from London because of the timing of the whole thing. And I'm kind of squeezed into the window, reading, reading a, a leaflet from mind. Uh, what a great, great charity mind are um about it i'm like oh yeah no that's me 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 oh lots of people with bpd die by suicides lots of people it's like oh well this is shit this isn't i mean it was a very bleak leaflet and it was written beautifully and it, but the, the reality is that there's a few things that they just because you can't diagnose someone with from that, in that structure, and because mental health doesn't fit into boxes, because your mental health shit is different to my mental health shit, is different to literally everybody else's, because we are people and our heads are different, and it's not cancer, and it's not clearly cancer. You go, oh yeah, no, you got cancer of the thyroid, all right? There you go. It's shit, but we'll, we know exactly what it is. Or sometimes they'll go, oh, we don't know what it is. And then it'll turn out to be lupus. In-house, it's always lupus if they don't know what it is. Um, but mental health, it doesn't work like that. And BPD is a big bin that they put people in who they go, well, I don't know. I mean, there's clearly something going wrong here, but I don't know what it is. So they put it in the big BPD bin. And... Turns out that lots of people who they don't know how to diagnose or what to say about, turns out lots of people in that bin do go on to, to die from it. And that's quite scary when you've just been put in that bin. So, yeah, and there was also, there was, it was also, I was told, I'd, I'd gone up to London so I could get this bipolar diagnosis, so I could get on lithium, so I could start to work towards things. And I felt like I'd failed that test. I felt like I'd been told by that secondary services person I wasn't seriously ill enough. Again, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm a total mess on the train. <laughs> Poor commuters trying to get home. <laughs> That's middle-aged man sobbing in the corner. <laughs> what a prick. I mean, that in um, itself... That in itself says a lot about the system that you can be kind of given this really 
you know, sort of life changing news that wasn't expected. And then they're like, right, here's your leaflet. Off you go, mate. And like, you just jump on the train and, you know, it's like everything's changed and nothing at all has changed all at once. Right. Yeah. I mean, is it news? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, but this is the thing about the the, the NHS system so broken, it would have taken me such a long time to get anything. And in fact, it was, uh, it was August and everyone was on holiday. Like, like, I couldn't find, I went to London because literally every private person in Kent was on holiday in August. I couldn't couldn't even go. Just, oh, it's not a great time. It's not a great time to be mental, I'm afraid. So could you come back in, uh, I don't know, March? We're all in in March. Who's in in March? Yeah, everyone's in in March. Come back then. We'll sort your rights out. Um, Oh, but it's... You know, and, and, and it, like you say, news, I guess it was news and it, and it did it did impact me quite a lot as news and it did change my medication and it did help me understand some things and just reading the leaflet and going, oh, yeah, no, these are these, some of the things that I do are things that other people do. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm part of a community. I write a lot about stuff about being community now and because I think that helps understanding that even though you're on your own, on the floor, in the kitchen, I'm also sat with you on your floor in your kitchen because, you know, because I know how it we, feels. We we, we 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 walk this path with the you know we walk this path together, and reading such a personal, so many personal things on this leaflet does that. Yep, 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 yep. Bullet points. It's like yep, 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 yep. It's pretty amazing, but yeah, it's also mixed up. And yeah, like I say. PPD is uh, is problematic, and it's also something for when you first Google it, everyone's like, "Oh, everyone hates people with BPD, but don't listen to them." I'm like, "What? Why do people hate me? <laughs> Why? I mean, apart from the obvious, but that's not BPD related. Like, mm, really yeah. problematic." Um, so, and now you know, when was I diagnosed with bipolar? I think 2018. It's bipolar, so you know what? You know, not. I still think of it as quite a new thing. But a few years ago, I tell you what I like about it. I like being able to tell somebody in one foul swoop that I'm a bit mental, and I don't need to. Then most people, most people I speak to, don't know what bipolar is really, but they understand that it's a serious thing, and I can just leave it there. Like if. if, if if I choose to disclose that, if I choose to just share it in a conversation, then that's that. I think that it's, it's that I, I find that useful as a calling card. It's not a calling card. I don't mean that. Just as a, just, just, as, just, 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 and there's some, there's some comfort in it too, that I'm not making it all up. Yes. That's such a wonderful point. Yeah. Yeah, that there's, there's a name and a and a and a reason and a and a leaflet and you know mm. like that's that there's there's a lot in that, isn't it? Because I think a lot of people who are not well and haven't had a diagnosis or um, keeping it to themselves, you know, trying to hide it, you know, people think the reason this podcast is called Proper Mental is because that's the only words I had. People, you know, I th- I thought I was going proper mental. That's that's it. That's the only way I could I could describe it. I didn't have any other words for it, you know. And I think that's a really common thing. Really, really common thing. Yeah. It's hard to tell, so I get sad sometimes. I mean, yeah, we all get sad sometimes. It's hard. Yeah. It's, it's hard to find that language. And it's hard to communicate that. And we um, all want to be understood, right? You know, we all, you know, you, we all want people to, to, to see us, I suppose, and to be able to tell people how we're feeling, you know, like it's nothing worse. If you say, I get sad sometimes someone goes, yeah, me too. And it it makes you want to go, no, but I get really sad. And they go, yeah, me too. And you go, no, but I get really, really like, when does it start? Right. So I suppose when the, you know, it is sometimes useful to, um, to be able to say, well, you know, I have to deal with this every day and that's why I get sad. And it kind of makes a bit more sense, I suppose. Yes. I think, I think there's an element of, I certainly in the past might have told people about some symptoms that I don't really talk about because I wanted to tell them that it was bad. And you can't just say, I get eight out of 10 sad, right? And they go, oh shit, I only get seven. Okay, eight, all right. Like, so you start going off and 
into talking about things that just aren't very sociable to talk about. Uh, and that's not cool. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, I suppose there's easier ways for everyone to, uh, to do it. Yeah. You've, you've, um, you know, you speak very openly about your mental health task and was that a kind of, um, decision to do that, you know, to say, I'm going to write about it and I'm going to talk about it. And you know, that's that sort of thing, or was that just how you are or where does that sort of, uh, that, you know, that passion to talk come from? Cause it's important, right? Cause people, when people can hear themselves in someone else's story, um, it can be one of the most wonderfully comforting things, um, you know, when you when you need comfort and, you know, it's a, it's a brave thing to do. It's certainly something I try and do. And, I was, yeah, I was just wondering if you chose to do it or if that just, uh, you know, just kind of ended up that way. I, I, I mean, I just, yeah, I'd like, I don't know. I don't know. I think I just talk, I just chat. Like, I'm in a very privileged position because I don't, People talk about bravery. I don't see much stigma in it because, I mean, I work on my own at home, so I don't have workmates who I have to deal with the next day. Go, you know, when I used to work in schools and it's like a like a, like a staff rem or, or whatever. People say, "Oh, I saw your post on Facebook." Not to me. I've never really done so like personal social media. Not really. And people talk about that, and I think that if I if I if I shared, I mean, on my, on my yeah, on my personal social media, I do share, I, I share quite a lot. Then having to go to work like on Monday morning or whatever, and then be like, "Oh, you were a bit low on Tuesday." Oh, 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 shut up, go away. Like you know, there would be one intention, but it'd just be you know, like I just. Whereas I, I, it's all largely consequence free for me. And maybe I'm just thinking aloud now, but maybe I've got this window because my children are getting older and older and older and they will in not too long be on social. And I would have to think about, I don't mind them looking back historically, maybe at what I've written, but if they were on Instagram reading my posts now, I would have to think a bit differently. Maybe I would, I think I would, I would have to think a bit differently. Um, whereas. I don't have work colleagues. I mean, I do. I've got the wonderful, wonderful Charlotte and Diane who I chat to on Slack and that, you know, but that, but, but it's all very, they, they live all over the country. Um, and so that's all very, it's quite distanced and they're loved and supportive, but it's, but I don't, I'm not in any position. I don't have a boss who can be like, Oh, I don't know if I trust you to work today. It's like, well, I don't trust me to work today either, but let's go anyway. Um, I'm in a very fortunate position where I can write largely consequence free. I don't think I'm going to go to a job interview anytime soon because I don't want, I would just want to do SP and, and my own writing. And I don't think that if I would be going for a job interview at a place that would say, oh, well, it turns out that you wrote in 2023 that you were a bit sad. I uh, don't think you'd be suitable for work here. Like that's not, there are jobs. There are jobs that right now, if they saw what I write, would think about not employing me because of what I've written. And that's the reality of it because people are dicks. And because I'm not very reliable. I wish I was totally reliable. I mean, I, I was talking about how one for my team are, they're totally used to me going, yeah, not happening. Or worse, it's okay if I say, do you know what? I'm feeling really shitty today. Can you guys just cover? That's, that's, I mean, it's annoying, but it's fine. It's when I start having my ideas <laughs> that they're like, mm hmm. Okay. And so I think maybe we should not do that today. Let's, uh, or they go, yeah, okay, we'll do that. And then, and then come back to me a couple of days later. Go. So we've done loads of work on this idea. I'm like, oh yeah, it's a bad idea. I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> um, like, God, I've got no idea what question we're answering. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I write. I just talk. I just want to talk to people and be open and be honest because that's what I've got. And I, SP is about being open and honest. And encouraging people to be open, honest about politics and to be able to understand and do that kind of thing. And I think that I've always written a bit about my mental health on civil politics. And then I was going through a real hole. 
a year ago and um i wanted to write more about my mental health and that there isn't space on sp for that every now and again i mean every couple of months i can write something but i can't take it over as being you know my mental health page so i started writing my own thing and i just enjoy it and it's nice for me to be able to sit and think sometimes i think oh that's an interesting feeling I wonder how I could describe it. And I'll try and write a post about it. And sometimes I'll write a post and post it. And sometimes I'll write a post and won't post it. And sometimes I'll start off by writing a post and then delete it and write something else. And like, it's just totally free. And I can write what I want. And people, I've got the most wonderful community on my personal. I mean, the SP community is great. I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky. Like the internet's famously horrid, but... My experience of the internet is so positive. I love Instagram. I love the people on Instagram. I love, yeah, I mean, SP has got a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful community. And my Instagram page community is, it's just supportive and kind and caring of each other. And if someone wants to say something, people will talk to them and surround them. And I know that, I know that people start messaging away from the page where, you know, away from like, people have made because it's a community because because people are coming together to talk about mental health and it's not there's a lot of platitude mental health bullshit and there's no point there's no point in me writing about rainbows and unicorns because people i mean sure there were yeah like things will get better we've got to get through this day by day all this stuff. like of course we do but sp speaks about politics like nobody else does and i'd like the idea that I talk about mental health like nobody else does. Mm. That makes a lot of sense to me, you know, and just how, you know, there needed to be something like that in the political space. Then there also needs to be things like that in the mental health spaces as well, you know, to clear up maybe some of those platitudes or the miss, um, you know, I feel, I feel a lot of the stuff in the, in a mental health space, it's kind of all, it's it's not necessarily aimed at, you know, we're all talking to each other sometimes, you know, and I think, you know, for stigma busting, it needs to kind of get out the bubble a little bit. You know, I don't need to talk to you about that and you don't need to talk to me about that, but we could probably both talk to a couple of other people who are really, you know, affected by it or creating it, or um, it's a strange little thing, but I love the idea of the, of the kind communities that build that you were just talking about. Cause that's a very important thing. And um, yeah, it's something that I related to a lot when you were saying it. I mean, yeah, I mean, you've got this podcast. I'm sure the the, 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 the listeners and the people, I mean, yeah, that, it's, it's, a, it's a privilege to be with you all today. So thank you. Oh, mate. Well, yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. How do you, um, how do you, and I, I bet you get asked this a lot, Tat, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How do you, um, how do you jug it all with the nature of what SP does and how it works? You know, you're, I'm guessing that your notifications are pretty much on round the clock. The political landscape can change it any time and you guys are, are there for it right how do you how do you juggle how do you juggle you know your mental health and your life and being you know ready to keep your finger on the pulse for one of a less wanky way of saying it really 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 badly i mean it's a shit show <laughs> i mean like yeah, I have no, I have no juggle or balance in my life. I mean, sometimes I've managed to. Uh, I used to have like a smart watch that would vibrate every time BBC News or Sky News pushed the notification. My watch would go off. You know, whatever I was doing at the time, and I'd be like, "Oh, look! Oh no, it's just S Club Seven have reunited." <laughs> um, or you know. Maybe not. Maybe it's something big. You have to. My mental health's a lot better for getting rid of the smartwatch. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I also I've got a really nice face watch now, and I think it looks really cool. So uh, that's better. Um, I at the very beginning of this conversation, we were talking about how the best things are the worst things. It's not a coincidence that I am in a 24-hour full information all the time on environment because that's what I need. I need everything to be happening all the time. And then it becomes a stick for myself to beat, for me to beat myself with when I'm not 
alive and alert 24 hours a day. Oh, I missed this. Oh, this happened in America at four in the morning, but I haven't posted about it. Like, it's constant, but that's that's my mental, I suppose. That's what I need. I need constant distraction, constant thought, constant newness, constant things to connect, constant a constant ongoing world. And one of the, you know, one of the reasons I I hate Christmas or the weekends or whatever is that less stuff happens. And I want stuff to be happening all the time. I need it. I need it. What's happening now? Um and it's, it's ludicrous. Like I, 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 like SP is like a filter for people to help people not do that. And what I need is to not do that. But I've built a life around doing that. I mean, there's so many just inherent contradictions in everyone's mind. It's not about necessarily about illness, but in everyone's mind about you know. A classic, a classic BPD thing. And again, classic BPD equals just something people who struggle deal with because BPD is that bin, right? Is that um, I did a post. I did a post about my coffee machine because my coffee machine beeps to tell me it's running out of water. And when I take the water, water thing that holds the water off, it beeps at me because I've taken the water off. And it's like, make up your mind, coffee machine. Do you want me or do you not want me? I mean, what, what's going on here? And that's how I am with uh, everything, which is, oh, no, this isn't going very well. Don't go away. Come back. Um, and that's how I am with the news cycle. That's how I am. Like, I need it all, all the time. Oh, no, it's too much for me. No, don't take it away. Oh, no, come back. Oh, God. And that's like within the first five minutes of PMQs, all my heads, that's all, that, that's all gone off in my head. And then, and then you get to a weekend or Christmas at the worst, you know, or something tragic like the queen dying and there's no news for two weeks. And, I've, and, and I, I, I don't cope very well. And the, the structure and the furniture of my life disappears as half term we're talking again beginning of this conversation about rules and structure and how that helps and i mean it's chaos everything's chaos and um and your question the answer is it's chaos by design i want this chaos clearly i've i've, I've encouraged this chaos this chaos is what i've been looking for yeah um yeah yeah i think there's um a lot about living with a mental illness is there's a certain amount of acceptance right and just kind of accepting that the chaos is a part of it and sometimes fighting against the thing that's a part of it makes life very very difficult you know i try and accept my my flaws and make the most of them and um you know i get on better with them now i'm not trying to get them in a headlock and pretend that they're not a part of me if that makes any any sense at all you know kind of embracing some of the things that come with it and say well this is just kind of how it is yeah. Yeah. That's how it is. That's how it is. Sometimes it's easy to accept than others, right? Very much so. Yeah. Sometimes you look back and go, God, you should just have rolled with that, shouldn't you? And yet you're still fighting, 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 fighting. That's it, mate. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> There's two very specific things that I wanted to ask you about, Tatten, and I'm conscious of your time, so I'm going to bring them home now. Um, but the first one, something you write about a lot is music. And I was wondering mm. about the role that music plays in your life. Is that important to you, mate? Oh, I mean, music's everything. Um, again, at the beginning, of this couple, we're, talking, we're talking about how I got into politics and it was animal rights, but it was an anarchy. And, uh, but that was all came along with punk, um, punk and hardcore music. Um in London in the late nineties was, was, was everything. It was really exciting time. It was a really exciting place. Um, and there was a sense of belonging and community that I never found at school or at home. Um, it was a place where I could go and I could put on a show and be part of the thing and, and just be accepted for, for, for where I was. And there was a lot of kind of anger there. And I certainly learned to relate my emotions with music and to see there were people on my journey on my path because of the words they wrote and the way they shared those words and the way you can express with a microphone or a guitar or a keyboard or whatever it might be. I mean, I, I, music is, um, 
music's absolutely everything to me. I listen to music all day, all the time. Um, expression and art and something real. And then something not real, something silly and frivolous and something that you can just... Uh, <laughs> Just put on and go. Oh, I wish Spotify didn't have any like record history of me playing this. Um, and yeah, what like I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. You can just it's raw emotion, and then it speaks to something so real about the human condition in a way that I've never found any other art platform any other i just i mean just talking about generic music in this way is really difficult because obviously music means so many different things but then but i can step back and have a look at where i am because i can look at what i've been listening to and go oh yeah you're quite you're listening to quite a lot of uh angry shouty men at the moment <laughs> that's and i won't realize i'm doing it just get i'll just stick it on and 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 whatever and so yeah the music is 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 pretty important to me. Yeah, I suppose it's like yeah, you mentioned before, you know, that that scale of sadness. How do you know when you're at seven? And you can, you know, you, your number seven playlist is. Uh, yeah, <laughs> do you know what? I might do that. I might. That'd be a fun thing to do. To drop <laughs> drop in a one to ten playlist. Yeah, of different. Uh, you know, you could have one for sad, one for the chaos as well. You know, the. And, oh uh, yeah, but that's the thing because it's not a two dimensional graph, is it? Like, That's it. Yeah, you you've got get... all the the, the 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 chaos and oh, oh, that's a project. I, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know what, you could probably um find all of that in one system of a down song, or you know, like one of those those bounds that just bounce around uh different different ten songs in one of different paces. Mm. You could probably you know chop suey probably ticks all those boxes. And um, the other thing, I digress. The other thing I wanted to ask about you, Maze, is um can we chat a little bit about stem cells? Because that is the most wonderful story I've read about you this week. Um uh, <laughs> and I, the was... only story you've read about me this week. <laughs> Just this week. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah chat chat about when did you um donate the stem cells first of all? When did uh in fact, I'll let you tell the story actually, because people listening are probably thinking, "What the fuck's he on about with these stem cells?" But um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this—it's a really odd story. This. Um, I used to give blood. My mum used to give blood. I saw my money. My mum used to give blood all the time. I used to go with her and sit and wait in line. And then when I was old enough, I started giving blood. And then I gave blood quite a bit. And they were like, "Do you want to join the the, the bone marrow registry as it was then?" And I was like, "What's that?" So, well, we're going to take tiny bit more blood in this time and we'll get your details off that and you'll go on the register and then if someone's like dying then and you're a match we'll give you a call and we'll take some bone marrow which is what it was at that at that point in the noughties early noughties and i was like okay cool done and then forgot about it and then 15 years later maybe i got a phone call saying you're a match someone is dying and needs they they phoned like um the three closest matches right and then you had to do another blood test and then they found who was the best match out of those three closest matches right and i was the best of those three and they were like so do you want to do it then i'm like well obviously how can i say you can't at that point turn around and go well no i it might hurt a bit what if it hurts um so it's just it's just a sliding thing it reads like a great story and deb's is so wonderful I was like, oh you know you did a good well no i just went just said yes to a question when i was giving blood in 2001 right and then get a phone call it's like do you want to do this like yeah of course i'll do this and then it was a couple of injections and then because it was by this stage, uh, it's uh, it's it, it, it's it's ten years ago now, but but it's moved to stem cells rather than bone marrow. So stem cells, if someone's got leukemia, which is blood cancer, right? Blood cancer is a really shit kind of cancer because blood's like everywhere, right? I'm no biologist, but I know that blood is everywhere. So if your blood is cancerous, your whole fucking body is cancerous. 
And so you're, you need basically fresh bone marrow to create blood that's going to fight this cancer. It's roughly my understanding. And getting bone marrow out of someone is quite difficult and getting into someone is quite difficult. So now they get stem cells, which are like these ninja blood cells that your body can then turn into good bone marrow somehow because bodies are amazing, right? And so I had a series of injections over a week um, to make my body create more stem cells. And then I went to uh, London and they hooked me up to a machine and they took my blood out from one arm, harvested the stem cells from the blood in a machine, put it back in the other arm. It's not like kidney dialysis type machine. And um, it was a day and I was a bit tired. Back, but I got home, tra- trained back down to Kent the, that evening and went back to work the next day. Um, and that was my job done. That's all it was. But those stem cells were then taken to Manchester and um, the stranger who's, who's, who's called Debs, who I now know, and it's called Debs, uh, received, she was very ill. She was really very ill. She received those stem cells and, and she got better. And um, yeah, it was 10 years ago in October and we met up for the first time and we, we, I took them out for supper. And uh, she's had, she's well. Do you know what? Like, she's not just a bit poorly, but getting on with it. <laughs> Medically, she's doing way better than I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's, 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 she's had 10 Christmases and 10 birthdays and her children and her, she's working and she's just, she is thriving. I say she's got, she's had 10 Christmases, like she's not going to have another, but she's just healthy and well and full of life. And she's funny and she's amazing to be around. She's a wonderful, wonderful person. And, and it's a really odd thing this because yes, I have saved her life. But that sounds way heroic. But actually, I just, 2001, giving blood. Do you want to do this thing? And you, you're an arsehole if you say no, right? <laughs> it's got to be, I've got to be, yeah, of course, just put me on the register, fine. And then 15 years later, do you want to do this? And you're an arsehole if you say no, right? So that there's no, there's no me standing up saying, I'm doing this. Here we go. I'm the savior. You just fall into it and you do something tiny. And that small thing then goes on to do something absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. But then you look back and it's not, it's easy to credit me with more because it feels like I was more, it, it was just, I just did the, I just went down the not being an arsehole route a couple of times, right? That's all that happened. And now we've got the wonderful, 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 wonderful Debs. And, and please, please, if you're listening to this and you can join the Bone Marrow Registry, please do. There's lots of different ways to do it from different people of different ages. Young men are missing. Oh, was, so this story was in the Daily Mail um, the other day in the health section. And the reason it was is because they're looking for young men. And I was a young man at that point. I no longer count as a young man, which is very upsetting. But uh, when I did donate, I was a young man. They're looking specifically for young men, but all kinds of other people can get involved. Get on the register. If no one needs your stem cells, they will never call you, right? You're never going to get bothered by it. But if they do need you, then they really fucking need you. So get on the register now. And then you're there if someone needs you. And because you've been active about it, you can take a lot more credit than I ever can. Because I just happen to be, I just happen to be lying around in the bed when I said, should we take some blood? Yeah, fine. Um, just join, just do it. Yeah. It's a lovely thing, man. It's a lovely, um, a lovely story, you know, and those sorts of just, just really nice, lovely stories seem to be getting rarer and rarer these days. uh, (laughs) It it was really, uh, really lovely to, um, yeah, to hear it, to hear it from you. 
Mace, we're uh, we've just about done an hour. That was um, a real pleasure to chat to you today, mate. I've enjoyed it immensely, and uh, thank you so much for your time. Oh well, thank you very much for having me on. It's been uh... oh, I, I can't remember anything I've said, so I hope that some of it is useful and makes the edit. This might be the shortest ever episode of your podcast. The cutting floor will be knee deep in my nonsense. Just you um, saying, don't be an asshole, and that's it. That's yeah. the that's the, uh, that's the headline. Yeah. Just just listen to yourself, mate. Sharp. Um, oh, mate, not a, not at all. It's been a real pleasure, and I think a lot of people are going to feel very. Uh, they're going to relate to a lot of the things that you said and that we talked about, and I think a lot of people are going to feel take some comfort from that, and that's exactly why I do this show. So, um, yeah, it's a real pleasure. Okay, well, thank you very much, Champion. Oh, mate, legend. Thank you, mate. Big up to the proper mental podcast. The proper mental podcast.